It's time for Windows Weekly. Microsoft suing Google. Apple's suing Amazon. Amazon's going after Apple. It's a complicated world, but Paul Therott explains all next on Windows Weekly. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Windows Weekly is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Windows Weekly with Paul Therott. Episode 202, recorded Thursday, March 31st, 2011. Opera, not Oprah. Windows Weekly is brought to you by Go to Assist Express. If you're in tech support, clients rely on you for fast and reliable service. Help them the easy way with GoToAssistExpress. For a free 30-day trial, visit GoToAssist.com slash Windows. And by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website and blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to Squarespace.com slash Windows. And by MailRoute. MailRoute is a secure hosted service that filters viruses and spam for companies of any size. Save 10% off for the life of your account by visiting MailRoute.info. It's time for Windows Weekly, the show that... <laughs> Windows Weekly. <laughs> I'm trying... I'm, I'm working on a trademark, Paul Thorat. I wanted some sort of, yeah. you know, let's get ready to Windows or something. I don't know. He'll uh, sue right. you if you do uh, if I you was going to say, even, even if that is a parody, he would probably sue you. I know. Just to make the point. <laughs> so I'm, we won't use that. Right. It's more touchier than Frank Stallone's lawyers. <laughs> it's Wawa time. Windows Weekly, ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the man in charge at the super site for Windows, windsupersite.com, the news editor for Windows IT Pro, consultant and analyst for Penton Media, and the author of many fine books, including the Windows Phone Secrets, Super Bible, <laughs> Mr. Paul Therott. How you doing? 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 <laughs> Joey's got a new show. It's called Episodes. Good, Have good you seen Episodes? Him. No, it's and a I never will. Show. Oh, no! It makes fun happening. of him. I, then it sounds great, but I still. <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> he mocks his character. People come up and say, "How you doing?" Oh what yeah, he's did doing he do? Matt Matt uh, LeBlanc. He looked yes. good. He looked good in uh, in a, in a, in, a, in a short sleeve shirt. That's all. That's all he good. had to do. Uh, let us talk about Windows. Really, I think let that's us. probably let a better us. subject than last night's television action. We uh, do have a lot of Windows stories today. I know that's going to disappoint some people. <laughs> you got the email, did you? <laughs> Always a problem. You got the email. How you doing? So, uh, boy, you you know when you use the word Microsoft and antitrust in the same sentence, I know, I know, it's cause for certain certain imagery evokes. Mm. Yeah, in this case, it ain't Microsoft; it's Google. Yeah, or, or more specifically, Microsoft um, launching an official antitrust complaint against Google. Wow, in the European Union, uh, simply because the EU has proven itself to be more aggressive along these lines. It's a sympathetic ear. Yeah. And plus, let's face it, who knows more about how this works than Microsoft? I mean, if you're going to game the system, you have to be an expert, you know, and Microsoft is the expert. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. They, yeah. They're saying, hey, you know, we, we had a lot of experience in uh, in the last decade on uh, antitrust. Uh, yeah, and, and, right, let's put it to good use. The, yeah. Based on the unbelievable storm that we weathered 
uh, we, we, we think this might be antitrust. <laughs> you know. Wow. So uh, is it? Is this about search, right? That's about three things. So, yeah, search is one of them. Uh, also, online advertising. And then, interestingly, smartphones. Mm. And maybe not quite in the way that you would expect. Um, you know, the search stuff is interesting because, in obviously, Google is dominant in search. Um, I've read somewhere, maybe the New York Times, somewhere, this, someone pointed out something that I thought was actually uh, pretty smart, which was that, you know, in the U.S., Google has about 65% of the search market in most places in Europe, they actually have 90, 95%, right? They're, very, they're extremely wow. dominant. Um, but the bit I had sort of forgotten about is that there is almost no competition left. Microsoft, in many ways, is the last company directly competing with Google for ask, internet search. Ask is gone. Uh, yeah. All there's there's Blecko. Uh, yeah, well, you know, there's things like Wolfram Alpha, which is not the same, not the same. No. thing, obviously. But as far as, you know, a pure internet you know google style internet search i mean bing is pretty much it right you know they're well, they're uh, the only strong competitor yahoo's using yeah. bing yahoo's um, using bing so i mean that's pretty much it so well, it I is know. an interesting situation and um yeah i mean i think in the same way that not, not that being dominant you know or having a monopoly equates to antitrust problem i think that was one of the learnings out of the microsoft antitrust fiascos but you know, it, it depends on how you get there. And it also depends on how you behave toward your competition. And what Microsoft is saying in this case is that, and this is actually kind of interesting, they have put in specific blockers to their own services, especially YouTube, but not only YouTube, that is preventing Bing from completely indexing them. So Google is acting to give its competitor a, a, a disadvantage, um, which is actually illegal um, in, in this country, at least. And I, based on the way the EU acts, I would say under EU law as well. So, but, that's but, say that again. Thing. So, Google is is blocking. This is according to Microsoft. What Microsoft Bing. says is that uh, that Google has put in place specific blockers to prevent Bing from being able to completely index Google's services, including but not limited to YouTube. So in Ooh. the case of YouTube, there was some percentage. You know, we can only index 40% of YouTube or whatever the number was. Ooh. Obviously, Google can index 100%. So when people search for videos, Google search has an unfair advantage because it has the complete index. I think Bing they have a point get, there. Assuming it's true, yeah. right? I mean, these are allegations. Well, I mean, and I'm sure Google clear. says, oh, it's an API limitation. You know, Twitter, for instance... Oh, yeah, yeah. Says you can't uh, you can't suck everything down from Twitter. You can only because we can't give we can't afford to give you everything, or mm -hmm. you know you have to buy the fire hose. So maybe, yeah, maybe you know, that's the Google, theory. Google, you know? um, I, I haven't had looked at this yet. I mean, I, I it's un unfortunate the way my week works is that Monday through Thursday I write news stories, and then on Friday I do short takes, which is a bunch of shorter blurbs. And what happens sometimes is that a Friday will come along, and there's an important story that I feel needs more you know space than just a little blurb. So. That may happen tomorrow because obviously in the wake of this out, these allegations, Google has already and will continue to reply in some public fashion and try to dispute these allegations. So Google has come back with some general statements so far, but I haven't studied them enough to say anything intelligent about their response and whether or not Microsoft is correct and all that. But I, right now, I, I think what I can accurately portray is what Microsoft is accusing them of. Um, and it is very interesting, you know, so uh, internet search uh, is the obvious one. Um, advertising, too, maybe should have been obvious because really that's how Google makes money, right? Google has an ad platform. Uh, actually, they have more than one ad platform. And Microsoft has their own ad platform. And there are other companies with ad platforms. But 
what they're basically saying is that Google has in its contracts with um, uh, advertisers that they cannot use software from third parties that would compare the results from multiple ad platforms, giving them a better idea of how their campaigns were working compared to the other suppliers. Uh -huh. So, in other words, they can't you know, run a, an ad campaign on Bing and one on Google mm -hmm. and then compare the results and say, hey, actually, in this case, it's working better in Bing. We should put more resources over there. They don't let them do that. That's according very to interesting, yeah. Um, and they also, in Microsoft, this one's a little softer. Uh, they also claim that uh, they, Google prevents advertisers from easily moving off of their ad platform so that they could switch to another ad platform if they decided to do that. And that was one of the ones where I saw a general statement from Google just saying that's complete baloney. We, you know, we we do allow that, and it's easier than they're making it sound. So you know, we'll we'll see. I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that falls out. I have to say that's one area where Google does not have a monopoly is in in advertising. advertising. Yeah. Although you know, <laughs> Google obviously they bought uh, DoubleClick, and and there are things that are sort of related. Any, anything search related sort of ultimately piles into ads, right? That the point of improving your search engine and making it such a valuable destination, or at least an interim, kind of a middleman destination, is you want to drive traffic and increase ad sales and so forth. You know, um, there are antitrust related things occurring in the US right now around Google's attempts to do, um, you know, uh, book search, right? Which was just uh, the um, settlement that they had with publishers was just shot down by a federal judge. And then Google, of course, is trying to buy ITA, which is that travel information right. provider. Another, another one where they're having trouble, yeah. Yeah, Microsoft and I think virtually every travel company on earth, there are a handful that don't. But most of them are saying that we don't want Google to own this company because you're funneling more and more traffic through right. Google. And, and it, it was just, Microsoft and Amazon, by the way, in the book search deal that uh, wanted to yeah, torpedo yeah, that yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, the problem is, you know, the, the book search deal, which uh, a small percentage essentially of publishers and authors agreed that this was a good idea. They don't represent the entire body of authors and publishers that are out there. Yeah, but and let's be honest. This isn't really about, you know, the, the the dispute is over orphan works, works that no one claims. No, no, of course, copyright well, to but, and, but and Microsoft. Makes, yeah, Microsoft and Amazon care about the orphan works. It has nothing to do with it. They want to no, be no, in this okay, business. No, no, they don't. But actually, I still feel that their concern there is justified because the way the deal was structured, it essentially gave Google right. a monopoly on that content. Right. So, yes, Google would go to the work of scanning all these books that nobody seems to want. But then Google is also improving uh, the ability of its search engine to provide relevant results in a way that other competitors simply can't match. So this kind of falls into this Internet search category from this complaint in the EU as well, when you think about it that way. Um, Google, Microsoft doesn't care about out-of-print books, obviously. But, you know, what they care about is a competitor kind of voraciously going after, you know, what is essentially a small side chunk of the market or whatever. But something that is just a, one of many pieces right. that makes not not just makes Google's product better and makes their competitors' products less good as a result, but does so in a way that prevents their competitors from even doing the same thing. It, you know, not that Microsoft wants to do this uh, global book scanning project or whatever, but... They actually anyway. started doing it and they abandoned it. They had that. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of things that seem like a good idea on the surface that, you know, Microsoft, <laughs> Microsoft or others would abandon. And right. we'll get to uh, some of the Amazon cloud storage stuff, but that's another good example. You know, Microsoft has uh, the SkyDrive service, oh, yes. which offers 25 gigabytes of free storage right. to people. More than <clears throat> Sounds great on the surface. But what it doesn't do is provide you any way, any easy way, certainly, <laughs> to access that storage. You know, you can't back up to it from Explorer and Windows, which seems yeah. like a fairly obvious bit of functionality. <laughs> if you're really into uh, 
uh, having cloud storage and trust Microsoft. You can't buy additional storage, which I think would be a neat feature. But when you talk to Microsoft about this, they have no intention of getting into that business really? because there's just no money to be made there. Mm. Can you imagine, you know, it's, it, it, it's one thing to be any of these small cloud service companies that um, aren't affiliated with a huge company, um, you know, cloud backup and all these uh, different services that are out there. But when you're Microsoft and you offer it, I mean, this is a company that has 1.2 billion customers, right? I mean, it's a different thing altogether. I mean, how much storage would this company have to buy and then service and then all the complaints they would get and this thing would get lost. And I mean, it's, it's to a consumer and to me, it sounds like an obvious feature that Microsoft should offer. But from Microsoft's standpoint, this is like a sinkhole from which they will never escape, you know? Mm. And I think that's the, the rationale for not. So I, I, the book scanning thing, maybe was that type of thing where they didn't realize what a, you know, Sisyphean task this was. And then once you start looking into it, you realize, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, this is, we could spend our lives doing this and never complete it. And to what end? Yeah, but you know, then, and then sue Google because they're doing it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> of course, no, and I, I say that in just the purest, uh, you know, competitive uh, point of view. I mean, yeah, of course, that's their right. I mean, sure, certainly yeah, if Google is doing it in such a way that they're not sharing the information or whatever, right. uh, you know, there's a case to be made. We'll see. And we'll see what happens. Um, but the third piece of this Microsoft antitrust complaint is smartphones. And Again, I haven't, I haven't read the complete complaint, so maybe there is some stuff in there about Android or whatever, but it's really not about that. Oddly enough, it is about Google allegedly withholding technical information that Microsoft needed to make a viable YouTube client oh. for Windows Phone. Oh, that's interesting. And their argument is, you know, uh, before Google had their own mobile OS, they did this for Apple with the iPhone. And at that time... Google CEO Eric Schmidt had a, a pretty close relationship with that company in that he was on their board. Right. Uh, the FTC actually launched an informal investigation as a, a w upon which time he quit the board. And of course, by that time anyway, Apple and Google were competing with smartphones. So Google now has this Android OS. And of course, on Android OS, you have an awesome YouTube client. And their, their point is, you know, you did it for Apple and you did it for yourself and now you're preventing us from doing it as well. Now, on that note, I, I already had a pick for this week for the Windows Phone app, but somebody pointed out an excellent Windows Phone app. There's a, there's a third-party YouTube app mm. available for Windows Phone. It's called YouTube. So basically, you search for that app, um, not the Microsoft one, but the other one, right? And just, I've just looked at it quickly, but I have to say, it's pretty awesome. You know, I loaded up one of our podcasts just to see how the thing worked, and it's beautiful. So I'm not saying this refutes Microsoft's claim. I don't. I, and again, I need to read more about it and see exactly what they're talking about. What are the features, you know, or the bits of functionality that they can't get? But Microsoft has a pretty bare bones YouTube client that is essentially the web browser. And then this third party created a beautiful YouTube client that, uh, frankly, I, you know, again, I haven't compared it feature by feature, but it looks pretty full featured. And it's beautiful. It's certainly beautiful looking. It seems to work really well. So must be HTML5, right? Because there's no Windows, uh, no flash on Windows Phone. Seven. Yeah, there's no flash, but it supports H.264. And right, that's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice, nice. So, nice. Uh, so yeah, you have a different one, by today, the way, so later on. So just so you know, he still has a Windows Phone Seven tip. It's just a different. I do, I do. Yeah, yes. I have a separate one, but yes. uh, yeah, maybe I'll use this as a pick later. You know, next week or yeah, two weeks. Yeah, when people have forgotten it, you can do it. You can bring it. Back. <laughs> when people forget, yeah. yeah. Well, when I've had a chance to really look at it, yeah. but so far it looks good. You know. Okay. Anywho, mm -hmm. uh, those are the three areas of the complaint. So. 
they've uh, published an open letter to customers. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the actual complaint. And, of course, I'm looking forward to seeing how Google responds. And you know it's going to be... It's just going to be a crazy amount of stuff. I mean, I almost can't wait. You know, it's like... Uh, it's going to go nuclear. Like, here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> I love this kind of stuff. Even small fights. You know, uh, Microsoft is... Uh, trying to prevent Apple from getting this App Store thing, right? Yeah. Every time one of these companies makes a filing, it's like you just want to, you know, you just want to turn off all the email, get a bowl of cereal, and be like, "All right, what do we got?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you like can, you, can, you It's like it's like big time wrestling. <laughs> yeah, you, you like uh, you just highlight the good parts, like it's a dirty book and you're a teenager, or you know, you know what I mean? Like because the language is classic. I, I love watching these companies just go at it. Yeah. And I, I want to actually, I should correct something I said earlier because uh, I would never eat a bowl of cereal that's really high in carbs. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but <laughs> so I apologize for that. Uh, never statement. would but, happen. Yeah. How's that to, just, you know, before we go to a break, how's that diet going? Right. It's going great. I mean, I haven't checked since, I check once a week usually. Yeah. Uh, I try not to but, weigh myself, but I'm, I'm discouraged because I've kind of plateaued. Yeah. It will happen. So um, I have actually lost 22 pounds so far. Wow. You look good. And, uh, well, I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't feel, I don't know if I feel, I mean, I, I, I bought like good, I slightly good. smaller pants. You know, that yeah. was kind of nice. I don't okay. know. We're going to go out of the little girl's room right now and go to a commercial and then we'll come back. I like your hair too. It's great. I don't know what you're doing. I just I'll love it. You. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about something. It's called shampoo, by the way. <laughs> really? Because I've been using soap. <laughs> it works. But. Uh, let's talk about something very, very manly, very macho, whether you're a woman or a man. <laughs> it's very muy macho to be the geek, you know, the alpha geek that people come to and say, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. And, uh, and I think anybody who listens to the show probably is, you know, their family and friends, sysadmin. Some of you do it professionally. You're doing support for uh, software. You're an IT person. This is a tool that goes in my toolkit and should be in yours as well. It's called GoToAssist Express. You know about this, right? I've told you about it. It's from Citrix, of course, so you know it's got the great, the great back end, uh, you know, remote access stuff. 128-bit SSL, NAT traversal, so you never have to configure, you know, a, f a firewall or do port forwarding. But it also has some features just for the support professional. Things like uh, eight sessions at once, so you could start a scan on one and install on another and keep moving. You know... We support professionals. We've got to be light on our feet. Got to move here. Got to move there. Where are you needed? And this helps you do that. You can also do unattended supports. You don't have to sit around waiting for your client to show up. You just fix the computer. They come in. They go, wow, it works. Uh, they also uh, have built-in um, assay of what uh, software is running. So you know what operating system down to the point number, down to the service pack number, but also any security software, anything else running in the background. That helps you a lot. They've got support for you 24-7. I just I can go on and on, but the best thing to do is try this free for 30 days. Normally, it's a it's a month-to-month -month subscription. They do have a day pass for people who do this only occasionally uh, They for the support ninja. But if you're, a, if you're an alpha geek, go to gotoassist.com slash windows right now. Try it free for 30 days. G-O-T-O-assist.com slash windows. And uh, try it out because I think you, I, you know this thing is I couldn't I wouldn't couldn't live without it Mac PC cross platform everything you just makes it so easy to help people with their systems go to assist.com slash windows and we thank them for their support and by the way a fat guy in our chat room says what if you're only a beta geek hey this is how betas become alphas go to assist.com slash 
windows. It's like that fraggle, fraggle rock thing. You know, how does a bill become a law or whatever yeah, that was? Yeah. The, uh, I'm just a bill on Capitol yeah. Hill. Doobie doobie. So um, I almost hesitate to bring this up. Yep. I think I'm going to surprise you. But please, bring it what, on. What's going on with the Windows Phone 7 updates? I've got good news, Leo. What? What's the matter? Do you I'm have just, a stroke? I'm, what's no, going? I'm dying. Yes. <laughs> yes, my left side. Is just No, No, I'm dodging in case some, you know, uh, um, fiery flames come spewing from your gullet there. No. I know no, this no. is a hot button topic for you. No, no. No. no? You're happy? Let me tell you something about these jerks. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> no actually, uh, there's been some progress. I mean, it's Windows Phone, so it's slow, but it, it you know, it's happening. I it's mean, happening. Uh, Clardy, or maybe it's C. Lardy, in yeah. our chat room says his focus got updated just now. Well, I don't know. Well, where, where's this guy from? I, if he has a focus, his focus didn't get updated if he oh. lives in the United States. I can tell you that. Oh, but maybe he's in, in Canada. In other words, in a sense, it didn't get updated. He Canada's, worked around. Canada's doing you know, updates. Canada, yeah. Canada, yes. He might be in so, Canada. Internationally, I would say we're in pretty good shape, unless you live in Australia, um, in the sense that updates are occurring. You know, Canada, that's uh, practically the 51st state. Is, I was going to say, is Canada technically? Yeah. So actually, Canada's doing great. Canada, the updates are being delivered. Yes. So if you have a uh, focus in Canada, yes. So maybe if you, I just go to Vancouver and I'll get it updated and I come back home. No. I did that for flu shots. Yeah, it doesn't really work that way. Oh. So there's a there's there's a carrier string inside your phone that oh. determines, you know, it's one of the many checks that occurs oh. to determine whether you get either one of the updates or whatever. Yeah. So that actually, uh, you know, the international picture has gotten significantly better. So, you know, Microsoft put up those charts, which are so horrible. And, uh, and now they've actually updated them and things are happening, especially internationally. So that's kind of interesting. In the U.S., it's not quite as good, but AT&T, which was sort of in a weird holding pattern, is now listed as, or maybe upgraded to testing, right, which is still stage one, <laughs> but uh, testing with the idea that uh, they will complete testing in early April and then presumably sometime in April, people in the U.S. on AT&T will start getting these updates you know i guess we'll see but if you have a uh, a t-mobile phone which i think is a dell venue pro and the htc hd7 if i'm not mistaken uh those are being delivered now so those guys are getting it and then if you are on sprint and you have the htc arrive of course that one came with nodo built in um so there, there are all these workarounds uh, available online ways well that you, you have can one on your site right yeah, I didn't. I, I I did not invent this or even thoroughly document it. I essentially linked to a site that did do that because um, I tried many different ways to get this thing installed on my Focus, and the only one that worked was the one that I discussed and the one that I've I've tried. There, there's a more recent, simpler one that's supposed to work all the time, but the truth is, the simpler one only works if you you are in that category where the the update is being delivered to your phone in your area. But for some reason, you don't see it in, in Zoom, which is, you know, because it's like a, a staged rollout of some kind. So there's a simpler workaround if you fall into that narrow category. But if you have a Samsung Focus and you're from the United States and you got it from AT&T, there is no simple way to get it. You have to, um, you have to do a pretty thorough workaround, which involves, you know, using the developer tools to unlock the phone. These can be the official developer tools or the, the Chevron WP7 tool that Raphael made. Um, you have to load a zap file onto the phone, which is a registry editor. 
you have to change that AT&T designation in the phone to something else. Um, so it appears that you're not an AT&T guy. And then you actually have to use a VPN to log into a server in, in this case, Hungary for some reason. And there's all kinds of crazy stuff. And it, it gets weirder from there, believe it or not, because uh, there's a timing issue. We have to turn off, you know, internet access at a certain time to fool the server into doing something. And it, it's, it's crazy. You mean but, in the middle of the update? Yeah, in the middle of looking for the update. <laughs> it's a very strange process. It's not, you can't listen to me describing it and do it. You have to go read the Did you the make article. a YouTube movie so that people can get the No, no, I didn't. Right? No, because, you know, unfortunately, I have, I have a Samsung Focus. So I, right. I have one other AT&T phone, but... Once you do it, you're done. You can't, there's no way to undo it. Uh, so uh, it's not something I can very well uh, right, document. So right. I, what I've done is I described how it worked for me and the instructions that I used, it did work. And in my case, it worked on the first try, which was great. Although I've talked to some friends and uh, it doesn't always work that quickly for them or there's different timings involved. And it's, it's a very strange thing. I mean, uh, it's so silly, the hoops we have to jump through. But, you know, I think I speak on behalf of many enthusiasts who's, when I say, I'm absolutely willing to jump through hoops to make this thing happen if Microsoft can't do it. Um, yes. So I updated, uh, you know, first you get the February update and then you get the March update and then you're, you know, you're up to date. And uh, of course, you get to see what the changes are and they're not that exciting. But, you yeah, know, I was going to say, did you, can you tell is, that you... Uh... Yes, you get obviously, get, well, not obviously, I should say you get copy and paste uh, oh, functionality nice. in some places. It's, it's not a very thorough implementation, but it works in text boxes and that's pretty nice. Um, there's some application performance improvements, uh, especially I would say around or returning to an app. So maybe you're playing a game and the phone rings or you're playing a game and you want to go check your email and then you want to go back to the game. Mm -hmm. that, that process of restart, it's not really restarting, but uh, it's almost like resuming. It comes out of sleep. Resuming yeah. is, is faster. That's, it is notice notably faster. I would say day-to-day -day performance using the phone isn't noticeably faster per se, but then it wasn't particularly slow before anyway, so right. it's okay. Um, and the search thing was fixed, and that's actually pretty noticeable. You have to really uh, think about it for a second to understand why, you know, how it would work differently. But if you're, for example, you want to go find that YouTube app that I mentioned. If you just go into the marketplace and hit the search button to type YouTube, uh -oh, bad the news. results that are going to come back are going to be music. Yeah. Uh, well, not podcasts. Uh, music, what are they going to be? Music, videos, uh, whatever Lots the content stuff. types are. Lots of stuff. But if you, if you go to the marketplace and then choose apps or games to get into that section of the marketplace and then choose search, the search will only search apps and games. Didn't used so to do that's, that. That's nice. That's a, it didn't that, used to do that. That, that so bugs me, I have to admit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, I haven't had it long enough to see if it fixes some of the stability and reliability problems I've, I've seen with Windows Phone. For example, one of the weird issues in the initial version of the OS is that sometimes, and there's no real understanding of why, you'll click on the marketplace button or the tile, the marketplace will start to load and then it kind of crashes back to the home screen. And so you try it again and it just, it will never work. And the only thing that you can do to fix it literally is to turn the phone off Reboot. and then turn it back on yeah. and then it, then it works. So I haven't seen that yet under the new That's good. Uh, update, but I've only used it for a day or two. So Those of us who use Android call that a forced close. We get that a lot. <laughs> yes. You can uh, you can put lipstick on it all you yeah. want, Leo. It's, FC. Uh, it's Sometimes they just call it FC. <laughs> yeah. So it's happening. You know, it's, it's um, you know, it's coming together. Yeah. So I don't really have anything bad to say. Okay, good man. 
for a change. It is, uh, now, this is an interesting uh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. prediction here. <laughs> is this from you? Who, who predicted that the no, Windows no. Phone <laughs> this 7... this from me? Yeah, yeah I was uh, drinking heavily over the weekend yeah. and decided to write an analyst IDC report. IDC says <laughs> yeah. Windows Phone 7 will be the number one smartphone. Can this be next year or is that, did I misread I'm sorry, it? did I write number one? Uh, number two. No, oh, number two. Yes. After iPhone. After iPhone. But ahead of Android and BlackBerry. Ahead of ahead of uh, iPhone and BlackBerry, yeah. Android, yeah. Wow. Oh, Android will be number one. And then right. Windows Phone 7 and then iPhone. Yep. Hmm, that's somewhat counterintuitive. Right. It kind of reads like a Jerry Pornell novel, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's an alternative so, universe. Yeah, I had to check. You know, it's not April 1st yet, so that's not it. Mm -hmm. Like, why, why would they write this? This is crazy, you know? And the reason is pretty simple. Um, they feel that Nokia is going to put Windows oh. Phone over the top. Actually, that makes sense. It makes sense until, you know, it was. I have to give credit where it's due here. Uh, it was Matt uh, Rossoff. He writes, he used to be from uh, Directions on Microsoft, which is an analyst firm, but now he is uh, writing for Business Insider. And he wrote something that I just thought was, uh, was so smart, you know, which is, you know, really looking at what were, what were these guys really saying? Like, how, how could they have determined this? And what they basically determined was that the entire market is going to change mm -hmm. except for Symbian, except mm -hmm. for, uh, I should say, Nokia's market share, and that everyone who uses Symbian is just going to move to Windows just Phone. It'll be automatic. It's a very yeah. unsophisticated way to look at this. So and they're just so basically saying every phone that Nokia sold before... We'll it's going to be Windows Phone 7. And, eh, and if, that's magic. And if, yeah. And I, I, see, the way I look at it. Now, of course, I don't live outside of the United States. I, mean, yeah, I think so, it's, it's misunderstanding why Nokia sells so many phones. Because they're well, feature phones. They're simple, inexpensive phones. Okay. Yeah. They fair can't enough. Run I've, made this, I, I've absolutely made this claim about the Symbian stuff that they don't even deserve to be included in any discussion about smartphones because they're just not smart enough. But I, I don't live in. Uh, you know, Poland or Spain or France or whatever. I, I don't live in places where people have a very serious attachment to Nokia. So I, maybe I just don't understand it. But it seems to me that Nokia is going to be losing people. That, that There's no doubt about it. That I'm not saying that Windows Phone won't save the company or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'd like to think that it will do well enough for them that they'll have some kind of a rebound. But how could any... I mean, it's impossible to believe that they're ever going to just simply move their massive usage share right over to Windows no, Phone. It's not going to be a one, doesn't, one doesn't to one. People use Nokia Phone. I mean, if you look around in those in, in other countries, they're not, for the most part, smartphones. They're not E71s or yeah, no, N8s. I, I, they're candy bar having, phones. Right. And then literally in the past you know, month or two, I, I've been to Spain and to France and was astonished by the sheer number of these kind of flip phones and feature yeah. phones and non-iPhones, basically. I mean, it was a, kind of amazing how much of that stuff is out there in the world. Of course, this is probably true in the U.S. Well, too. It's, it's more affordable. But and you're, there's no data plan. You're not going to get people who are using phones like that to move to a smartphone with a data plan overnight. It's much more expensive. Yeah. So, you know, if we were to go, kind of go back in time to last summer, maybe like last August or something, and, and you would ask me, you know, how do you think Windows Phone is going to do? Where, where, where would Windows Phone ever fall in the market? What, what, what is the best, best case scenario? I would have said the best the best case scenario, and this is possibly un unobtainable, is that they would be the number three or four player in the market. That that's best absolute best case. 
number one and two, of course, being Android and iPhone. That there is no doubt that there's Android and there's iPhone, and then there's everyone else, and that Microsoft's hope is that they can somehow outclass the rest. And that one of the big questions is, I, f I do feel that the market, the smartphone market, is big enough to include three, maybe four major players, right? And then after that, it gets filtered down to the noise. And Microsoft needs to be one of those three or four. So they need to be third or fourth place. And if they're not, then it's over, right? Um, who though that other player will be, you know, we'll see. It could be Rim with BlackBerry. So, so you're could, saying they have to beat Rim or Palm Pre. <laughs> not just that. So in other words, they have to beat, yes, they, they do have to beat Rim and they do have to beat the HP Palm Pre stuff. Pick, which pick I know you're pretty, pretty bad down at that. You know, four and no, five no, no, spot. But, but, the, but there's, another, there's another part to it. They don't just have to beat those guys. They do have to beat those guys. But the other half of it is the market has to be able to sustain this other thing as a third major player. In other words, ah. if uh, Android has 40% of the market and Apple has 30% of the market, um, the remaining, mar you know, Microsoft can't have 10%, you know, or maybe they could, I don't know. But, you know, once you get into the single digit percentage, it's like, what's the point of this again? You know, it, it just becomes... Pointless. You become like Opera in the desktop web browser market, or you know, there's there's a lot, or Lotus, you know, Symphony or something in the desktop public, you know, uh, productivity market. So you're I mean, saying you're saying they're instead of Oprah, they're Opera. <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, I, I anyway, that was my best case, you know, we win scenario. No, and this was last summer. So now that Nokia is on board, I guess there's there are more questions because I don't believe that it's a definite that these guys are going to be a positive. I mean, they could drag Windows Phone down too. I mean, aren't they? They're falling through the floor right now it, by their own admission. Yeah, this they, this is uh, clearly something that Nokia needed, not more than Microsoft. Although Microsoft paid them quite a bit of money. Well, ultimately, it. hopefully, it benefits both, right? Yeah. I mean, this, it should be a win-win. But I just, I'm just saying. But if, if you look at Nokia's Symbian, I did. I bought an N8 not so long ago, mm -hmm. hoping because I love uh, Symbian. Hoping that it would be competitive. It's not. It feels two years old already. I mean, brand new. Two, two years. Feels like last, you know, feels like that's not even close. It's like a smart car. You know, it sounds like a good idea until you actually get <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Then you realize, Oops. wait, what? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I have a broom closet that's bigger than this thing, and it gets better gas mileage, by the way. That's the irony. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's very strange. So, somebody smart in our chat room suggested maybe this is why Microsoft is working so hard to make sure that the European uh, uh, Windows Phone 7 <laughs> people are updated. That's okay. Sure. I mean, I, um, right. I have no explanation for why the European uh, market's moving faster. I, I guess other than the fact I'd point out it's not Microsoft doing it. It's the European carriers doing it. Uh -huh, so, right. You know, Microsoft has released these updates. Um, so it's not like Microsoft has any... Uh, say over when the, they go, these updates go out. It's it's, it's the carriers. So um, I think what we're really seeing is that the carriers in Europe are just more aggressive, and that the carriers in the United States, <coughs> AT and T, <coughs> jerks, um, are not, you know, <laughs> not so aggressive, not so aggressive, <laughs> not so not so, not so non evil. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Craig Monday uh, is in uh, Australia right now. He just uh, yeah. spoke to the Committee for Economic Development of Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, and is being quoted by the uh, Sydney Morning Herald as saying, you know, those tablets, I, I don't think they're here to stay. 
Yeah, you know, people <laughs> said that about the PC as well. Um, you says, know what is here to stay is that little Wally looking thing that you attach to your Xbox. Like that's that's going to be the future. That's of, the future. Uh, that's the future computing right there, Craig. He says, well, he might be right. He says it's not clear whether the iPad will remain with us or not. No. The only question is uh, whether the iPad will replace the PC or not. Yeah. I, I, I think that if you were to say, here's an iPad and here's the Kinect, uh, which one of these do you think is a fad? <laughs> I would say in my house, I can already tell you that the Kinect is already a fad. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, nobody uses it. I think that's the only way to say it. And I think that's true of a lot of homes. I, I made this... I don't want to call it a complaint. I made this observation about the Wii when it first came out. You know, yeah, the Wii would win thing. every quarter, yeah. every month. It was the best-selling console. And yeah. people would say, huh, huh, you know, and I'd say, yeah, but nobody uses the damn thing. I mean, you buy it, and then it becomes a $129 doorstop. But I, I really feel like the Kinect's the same thing. Don't take that the wrong way. I don't mean it's not good technology. Absolutely, it's an impressive uh, improvement over the stuff that, you know, Nintendo pioneered with the Wii. There's no doubt about it. And I think there are some interesting concepts in there that can move forward to these kind of minority report type futures that we all envision. But the Kinect itself as a device, um, there's no future there. This device has to be replaced for, for this stuff to become interesting. And I, I just don't, I'm sorry, you, you don't have to spend too much time out in the world um, to see people with iPads everywhere. Everywhere. And I can assure you, there may be a certain number of Kinects in people's homes, uh, but most of them are not being used. There's no doubt about it. Craig is, incidentally, for those who don't know, Microsoft's global chief research and strategy officer. He also said, "Yeah, I don't know what he was smoking. He said, I believe the successor to the desktop. Yes. Wait for it. Is the room. Yes. Well, because you know why. Microsoft well, makes the thing that sits in the room with you. It's called a Kinect. Instead of thinking so like the computer a, you know, is something on the desk that you go and sit in front of, the future uh, is basically yeah. the whole room is the computer and you go in it. Mm -hmm. That's good because we, we, you know, for a while computers were as big as rooms. Then yes. we got them real small and light, and now they're going to be rooms again. So I think that's that's great. I, I, I mean, he's being simple here, but I, I, I think there's a future to the notion of every wall is a display. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I it's think we're a Ray Bradbury uh, future. No, he, but I, right. You, you hit not, the nail on the head because then he started talking about Connect. That's that's key to that, of course. It's something that recognizes you when you come into the room. Uh, yeah, unless you're in a dark room or more than uh, less than six feet away from it, or you know, the the the, the litany of little problems with this yeah. very simple version of the technology he's describing is, you know, it, it's it's one point product. I get it, you know, but um, yeah, I we'll think I have to. I'm excited about the Connect uh, now that we understand the sophisticated. Uh, a way that they got it to recognize uh, body movements is pretty amazing. I mean, it really is, uh, you know, artificial intelligence here. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, for gaming, maybe not. But I think... I'll uh, look, I, we'll see. Um, you know, when like it comes said, to kids... Farmville, there's not going to be a better way <laughs> to farm. You know what you need is Farmville on the Nintendo 3DS. So you can do that little guy in 3D. You know what I'm saying? Nah, the buildings would actually stick up out of the ground. Ooh, I could actually walk amongst my people. <laughs> yeah, yes, as a god. As a god, as a living. Which I think it's what we're all looking breathing for. Breathing yeah. god. I can make it rain. I can turn the gray sky to blue. blue. <laughs> of course. I can't get next to you. 
So who, who's that from? Why do I know the words to that song? What is that? You do though. I was impressed. It's the Temptations. Okay, that's why. <laughs> like, I, I know the words, but I don't even know what the that's song why. is. You know? Okay, who said okay. this? We're gonna play a game. Actually, we're gonna we're gonna tease everybody because we're gonna I'm gonna say who said this, then I'm gonna do a little uh, take a little commercial break for Squarespace. But uh, but who said this? All of Microsoft's best early ideas are mine, <laughs> not Steve Bill's. Bill's. I don't get enough credit for my early work and for Microsoft's initial initial successes. In fact, I left Microsoft because I couldn't take Bill. Who said that? We will tell you. I think you know. Actually, I know you know. I know. Yeah. In fact, I'm jealous because you got a copy of this book before anybody else did. I can't wait to read it. No, no, I don't have this book. Oh, how do you know? It's an excerpt. Oh, you read an excerpt. Yeah, I want this book. Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair. Oh, you got the magazine. My wife has my Vanity Fair. She'll bring it back someday. Let me talk about Squarespace.com. The secret, by the way, no, the answer, Von Dutch, is not Microsoft Bob. Just, in, you know, I'll just limit. Oh, we'll I take that one. little dog. <laughs> Squarespace is the secret. Behind exceptional websites, if you're ready to make a, a, a website or if you have a website you'd like to move somewhere easier, more secure, perhaps you know friends and family or kids who don't have websites and you want to help them get started, Squarespace is easy enough for a kid to use but pro enough for some of the biggest companies in the world to use. It really is an amazing solution. It's hosting and software. They go together hand in hand. In fact, the reason Squarespace can do such a great job is because of how tightly integrated their content management software is to their server system. Means you, you know, you've just got this always on presence on the internet. You can import your stuff from your existing site. Movable type, WordPress type pad, and Blogger APIs are all supported. They have a, a really nice importing engine. Export out too, so you're never trapped. You can use an iPhone or an iPad to post, to moderate, to even to get stats. And boy, do they have great stat packages. You can really find out who's visiting, what they're doing. You can take total control of the site. Uh, and you don't, the nice thing is you don't have to be a developer to do any of this. Squarespace just makes it easy. You could try it free for two weeks. You get the full set of tools if you just go to squarespace.com slash windows and click the green button right on the front page there. It says try it free. And uh, it takes a second to set up. You don't need a credit card or anything. You know, nope. You don't have to give them any personal information except your email address in case you forget your password. That's it. And they will not bug you with that, by the way. It'll only be used for account status notifications. You know, to let you know your your trial's running out. For instance, if you decide to keep it after your two week trial, twelve dollars a month gives you hosting and software. The new Squarespace Six is on the horizon. It's going to be an amazing upgrade, and it will happen automatically. You gotta love them. Squarespace.com slash windows. The secret behind exceptional websites. Go try it today. Set up a site. You'll see what I mean. So who was it said all those 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 nasty things about Mr. The Bill Gates? Forgotten Microsoft co founder, Paul Allen. He's like the Pete Best of Microsoft. You know, I, I've I've lamented for many years now, actually, that there haven't been any good books written about these industry companies that I care about, especially Microsoft. The early days, you know, yeah. Yeah, you know, there were some books in the early days that were decent, and then, of course, in more recent years, actually not more recent years, but 10 years ago, there were a bunch of books written about Microsoft because of the antitrust trial and how dominant right. they had become, and 
Um, some of those would be interesting to go back and read now in the wake of what's happened, you know, in the past 10 years. But it's been a while. I mean, there really haven't been too many good books. So Paul Allen, who co-founded Microsoft with Bill Gates, has his autobiography coming out uh, next month, April 17th called Idea Man, the memoir of the co-founder of Microsoft. Dvorak always was of the opinion that Bill didn't really write that first basic, that Paul did all the work and Bill took all the credit. And this kind of implies... It's, I mean, he does say that, well, that Bill I, so, was a real uh, programmer and was a good programmer. Yes. Um, Alan actually gives a lot of the credit to Gates yeah. uh, for that. And um, certainly they both ha had a part in that. And, and given the limitations of the technology of the day... You know, both of them have described this code in the same kind of painfully geeky way, you know, really tight coding and, you know, the best piece of work they've ever done and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, they basically took a version of BASIC and made it run on the MITS Altair without having the hardware in front of them, yeah, which is pretty incredible. an emulator first, yeah. Yeah, and Alan describes in, in detail a story I think we've all kind of heard about, which was basically that he was the one who flew out to Albuquerque and met with the inventor of the Altair, um, Doctor, uh, Doctor Bob Roberts. Rob Roberts, and he, uh, you know, they they loaded it onto the Altair, and not knowing whether it was going to work, started doing some simple things. They did some simple math, but they did a they ran a, they actually typed in I think it was a thirty five or fifty five line basic program that was like a lunar lander thing, and it worked like on the first try. It's such you know? an amazing story. Um, it is an amazing feat, you know, for the day. Obviously, incredible. So, uh, and that this changed the PC industry immediately. You know, this guy immediately recognized what a big deal this was and wanted to go into business with them and all that kind of stuff. So Microsoft was born out of this and Gates dropped out of school and, and history was made. But, you know, the, the, the types of, the, obviously the types of things that are, you know, going to be a big deal in this book are, are any of the criticisms or the negative stories he might have about people he worked with. And there's some stuff about Gates, which is very... Um, Steve Jobs-esque, I guess, in the sense that, you know, Gates immediately right up front demanded 60% of this new company to uh, Allen's 40% because he felt like he did more work uh, in this initial basic stuff, especially. And, and Paul Allen agreed that that was the case, you know, and, and, and agreed to it. You know, Gates uh, spent a lot of the rest of the time that Allen was at Microsoft trying to get even an even bigger percentage. Um, uh, he schemed behind his back to take more. The guy was out with a Hodgkin's uh, thing, and uh, yeah, Hodgkin's Gates was lymphoma. He was uh, yeah. potentially uh, dying. And Gates was complaining that he wasn't working enough. Yeah, um, and wanted to take some of his share away, and was scheming with uh, current CEO Steve Ballmer to make that happen. And uh, you know, he still, and even given all the stuff, um, you know, not that Alan. I mean, Alan is one of the richest men on earth, um, but he. he comes off a bit like Steve Wozniak does in the Apple story. Although, I, again, I, no, I'd stress it. more genial about the whole thing. Well, that's what I mean. I, well, no, but he, he does come off that way because he says, he says, look, you know, uh, this guy was a bad guy and he did the wrong thing. But he's like, you know, he was right. He did this and that. And he, and he did ultimately agree to these cuts in his percentage, you know. Um, on the other hand, not quite as uh, genial or congenial as... Uh, uh, Wozniak in the sense that he also called Bill on a couple of things. And he was one of the few guys on earth and thankfully at Microsoft who could call Bill on BS, you know, that he was smart enough to counter right. Bill Gates. And this is something I think Gates has lacked, frankly. Um, well, not that he's running the company anymore, but I think, you know, after Paul Allen left, I mean, I don't think there was really anyone left. Maybe Nathan Merval, although I think Merval spent a lot of his career just basically backing up what Gates wanted to do anyway. So I don't really think he had that guy pushing back, which I think is so necessary 
in this kind of relationship or in this kind of uh, company leadership. So, you know, Paul Allen eventually left. Of course, uh, he went on to great success um, elsewhere, you know, owns uh, sports franchises and, and has had some successful and some unsuccessful business ventures, but is an incredibly rich person, you know. Including and I, tech I, TV, I might add. Okay. So I, I saw one sort of sour grapes thing about this where someone said, you know, it's kind of tough to see a guy who became such a rich billionaire, you know, whine about getting a slightly smaller percentage. It's like, it's like, guys, seriously. I, I mean, <laughs> the guy absolutely got screwed out of some stuff. Um, and, you know, it doesn't matter that him and Gates were, uh, you know, are and were forever some of the world's richest men. I mean, this is just a fact, you know, and it shouldn't surprise people too. And, and especially as we've discussed this, you know, I told you my Larry Bird story, my, my uh, premise that, you know, people who are really, really good at one thing are obviously lacking in other areas. You know, that Gates would be a manipulative, uh, driven, competitive jerk. Eh, you know, like, <laughs> is, that, is that really? I mean, seriously, like, are we really are we going to be outraged by this? Of course he is. I mean, how else would Microsoft have gotten to where you it was? You need that guy. Exactly. You, you need, that, need guy. that guy. Yeah, just like uh, Steve Jobs at Apple. You know, fact, no one's ever going to click. No one ever called him a sweetheart, and no one ever will. <laughs> if know, anybody out there is an extraordinarily competitive, jerky person who would like to come work at Twit, <laughs> what we do you need, need that guy. <laughs> okay. No, that's my job. Oops. I can't wait till the books are written. Hmm? About me. Oh, the book about you. Okay. Yeah, what did I say? We're Tom oh, Merrick goes, I invented all that stuff. Jerk. Well, jerk. Leo never let me have a chance, jerk. Right, right. Um, I can't wait to read the book, I, but I have to say, uh, Paul Allen never impressed me. To be honest, never impressed me with his uh, how uh, you know his uh, his lightning like intellect. He, oh, that's he, interesting. So yeah. I would just say uh, he never impressed me from more of a business standpoint. Neither this, yeah, neither. this was a guy who had lots of money and was willing to throw it at anything. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I would say Bill Gates was probably very technical, and no doubt still is, but. I honestly think that his biggest benefit to Microsoft wasn't the technical stuff. It was the business acumen. Yeah. There's uh, a, there's a book about Paul Allen called Accidental Billionaire. Yes. That right. will give you an idea of what people sure, sure, sometimes sure, sure. think of Paul. Okay. He yeah. was, I don't know. I don't, you know. I, I only know him peripherally, and you know, I can't really judge his technical expertise. I'm sure he well, no, and I, But I would say this. He was there, and that's why this is going to be compelling no matter what. Oh, I he can't was, wait to read it. He was there. You know, uh, there's no doubt about it. Windows 8 is great. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't say anything when you're drinking. Uh, so we're getting some builds now. What is an M2 level build? What does that mean? It means milestone too. You know, okay. be before you hit beta, there's a number of milestones. milestones. Typically three, actually. Um, Are we seeing Windows. M3? No, but we're in the, um, you know, we're in that period. So M2 has happened and now we're working toward M3, which okay. people are saying probably this summer. And then followed by that first beta, which will probably be a private beta if history is any indication, sometime around PDC uh, in the fall, September, October, whenever that is. And then a public beta like we did with Windows 7, I'm guessing by the end of the year, and then, you know, the process continues. And then about a year, 15 months from today, um, you know, they'll, they'll complete it, and Windows 8 comes out. But, you know, ever since Steven Sanofsky took over the Windows division of Microsoft, there's been an Apple-like veil of secrecy and I've always wondered, you know, a company like Microsoft, obviously a technology company, they they have all this uh, rights management stuff and, and the ability to hide data and, and encrypt data, you know, why they never did a better job of keeping information from the public. Well, 
Unfortunately for guys like me, they're doing it now. So <laughs> it's get, it's gotten very difficult. Uh, and they're, and they're, they're serious about protecting this information in other ways that are actually potentially scary. So, for example, if you're an employee, um, you know, the, Windows is componentized. So there are different types of builds that go out in different parts of the company. And they work on different parts of it at different times separately from the rest of it. So let's, uh, just to make up a, a scenario, let's say you're working on the next generation media player stuff, whatever that is. And um, your build of Windows 8 would look like Windows 7. It would have a couple of peripheral things that were new because, you know, there is some general stuff in Windows 8 that's new. But you would basically be working just on that one piece and wouldn't have the other stuff around. So if your build leaked out and it had all that Windows media player stuff or whatever they're calling it, um, they would know where it came from. You know, uh, they could really narrow it down. And the way things are now, there's a pretty good chance that when a build leaks, they'll actually be able to trace this thing back to the guy that leaked it. And that guy could lose his job. Um, and they're very serious about this. And from my perspective, they're also serious about it from a different standpoint, which is, you know, um, they don't want you to discuss this stuff. They don't want you to, you know, publish information that they consider to be, you know, intellectual property or, you know, the private information of this company and so forth. And there are potential threats there. No one has ever threatened me directly along these lines yet. But, you know, I, I, we're working on a book and I have a career and I have to write about this stuff. And if they took me off of some program where I could no longer get access to a beta or be part of the reviewer's workshop or whatever it was, that would seriously impede my ability to earn a living. And that's a scary proposition because you get the feeling with these guys that they're actually kind of serious about that stuff. And uh, it, it casts this whole thing in a different light. Um, so it's a little nerve wracking. You know, uh, Raphael and I are, have already have been talking for a long time about the, the new book and the, the direction we're going to take. And we, we don't want it to be based on the previous books. You know, we want this to be a new book, uh, hopefully a much smaller book, something that's more easily digestible and really just focuses on the stuff that's brand new. That, I'm you know, just glad to know that you're going to write another one. Yeah, well, Windows is big enough. I think it's important enough to do that, you know, that... Um, no, I, mean, ultimately, I agree. It's the book for Windows. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's all this stuff, you know, as I get older, I think when I was a younger guy, I, I was more concerned with the, the stuff. I, I look at the kids now and, you know, they get so excited about all this stuff. And I, I don't really care about breaking little tidbits of information or doing this or this or this exclusive thing. I, I'm, more, I'm more interested in documenting how things work, you know, and, and being accurate about what's going on, uh, what are the changes, and just and, and I think of it as documentation. It's almost like communicating something that Microsoft has always done a very bad job of communicating. Um, you know, it, it, that my interests are still very much in technology and all that stuff, but it's more of a documentation kind of thing at this point. And when I look at Windows 8, you know, we, we Raphael and I um, have actually been sitting on a lot of information. The problem is it's starting to leak out you know, because people can't help themselves, you know, right. they get very excited. There, there's some stuff that we've seen that could have gotten people in trouble. And what I'm afraid of is as things leak out, we may never hear about it. We may, I don't know, but I think people at Microsoft are going to start getting in trouble, for example. Mm. And I think it's going to cause a, 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 you know, a worsening of this situation, if you will. So hopefully what happens is time just passes and maybe we have a couple of small leaks and then we can get going with the beta. And of course, we'll be able to discuss that stuff. And that, that's, you know, I'm just looking forward to, to that because in the old days, you would find out about the next version of Windows very early on. And then some of the stuff wouldn't happen. And the way things work now is they don't want to reveal anything until they're ready. And that pretty much what they show you and tell you about and what you can discuss publicly is what happens in the product, you know, and that's the way they did Windows 7. 
And it's the way they're going to do Windows 8. We're in kind of a weird, you know, be, because of the timing, it's kind of a weird point. You know, so pre-beta, we're starting to see these leaks. There's a lot of misinformation out there around Metro UIs and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, it's um, Windows 8 has a big mission to accomplish here because Windows 7 was such a huge success. You know, how do you follow that up? It's kind of a tough thing. The last time they had to do this, they came out with Vista. Now, I don't think Windows 8 is going to be a Vista, but... You know, even if Windows 8 is awesome, you're never going to be as successful as Windows 7 because Windows 7 just works. You know, it's really good. So it's an interesting position. And, and I, I think these are the right guys to make it happen. I'm, uh, you know, Sanofsky is many things, but he runs a tight ship and he's got a very nice uh, engineering style about him and, and kind of a very logical and cold way of looking at things that I think is the right approach, you know, for when something as important as Windows. So I guess we'll see. But, you know, it's every day now, it seems like there's a little, little bit that comes out about Windows 8. And it's like, oh, boy, <laughs> yeah. you know, here we go. So we talked a little bit about Cloud Player, but what, what, this, this Amazon announced this uh, on yeah. Monday. And I think a fat, I mean, really, I guess Tuesday, really kind of interesting. You get, I, you get huge. five this gigs for huge. free for storing anything. Now, you have to use yeah. the web interface, but I'd be very interested to see if at some point they make a web dev or something simple set up. So uh, I, can, they have to. They're I gone. Mean, if, sure. if they don't, someone else will. Yeah. Someone else will. So there's that. And then if you buy an Amazon MP3 album once a year, yep. you get 20 gigs. And 20 gigs. any music you buy on Amazon, and I presume they'll do this as well with video uh, eventually. They, yeah, they yeah, do yeah. it kind of with the locker. Uh, right. It doesn't count against your storage requirements. So there's a huge incentive. For people to leave iTunes and just start buying their MP3s uh, on Amazon where they're cheaper and you've got right. permanent cloud storage. I was, um, I'm writing a lengthy review of this stuff. I've, I've, I've uploaded my entire music collection to the service. Oh, you did? Uh, How many gigs was that? It's 20 to 25, somewhere so in there. So did you buy more space? I did, yeah. I bought the 50 gig storage uh, thing. Um, I have some observations about this thing. I, I I was hoping to get my review done before we went on today. I, I missed that, so I'll, I'll do it later today. I'll post it later today. But as far as the actual, I, I guess I'll, there's some very specific things about the service that I think we need to discuss. But I also think it's important to step back and understand what's really happening here from a big picture standpoint. So I guess looking at Cloud Drive specifically, it's it's simple, right? They have their, their cloud storage. Um, there are other people that have cloud storage, you know, like these, the, you know, the uh, hard drive in the sky or whatever, you know, the, the different terms. And there's people, Dropbox, which everybody Dropbox, uses. Windows Live SkyDrive, um, you know, even arguably something like Carbonite sort of falls oh, into it totally this does. You bet. Uh, category, you know. Yep. So there are companies that do this. Um, it's very straightforward. It's a web interface. It works uh, Windows, Mac, you know, uh, from a web interface. It works on Android, which, again, is very interesting. Um, or, well, for the music bit of it. The thing that I think differentiates Amazon right now, and I really believe they have to change this, is you can sort of store anything you want there, but it's really focused on music right now. And the reason you know it's focused on music is, they A, they have a music uploader and synchronizer that will look at your music collection, all of the playlists that you have in iTunes and Windows Media Player, and you can, option, you can choose what you want to put up there in sync, but it will do it automatically if you want. In my case, it took over seven hours for that initial upload, you know, for the 20 to 25 gig, whatever it was. Um, but they have these tools for music. They have a player. They have a player that works on uh, Android, which is their MP3. You know, the Amazon MP3 program has been updated, so now there's a player. Uh, it works great. 
the sound quality is great. So if you have uh, 256K files, that's what you play. It doesn't down, you know, detune them in any way. Um, and if you're connected to the internet, it works like iTunes. I mean, it's your whole music collection, but it's not on your computer. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you're in a plane or, you know, in some disconnected Or using state, an iPhone. Uh, <laughs> or using an iPhone, but I think that's a temporary condition. I agree. I uh, I you know, there are, some, there are some holes there. So there's some obvious stuff. But I have to say, in using this, there, there are some not so obvious problems with this that really, really, really need to be addressed. Um, the first one is, it's only for music. I mean, they can say whatever they want about you can put other files up there, but they offer no way to do that. Um, there is a very simple web uploader, but it can only choose files. You can't point it at a directory structure of, say, photos and say, upload my entire photo collection. You can't do it. It will not upload folders. So that's useless. I don't, my pictures and my documents are not all, you know, spewed out in a folder. They're all over the place. So right now, there's no good way to do that. It it what you're saying that. is you have to select files individually. You can't. Yeah. You can, can, can multi-select. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it, it's just not... In other words, with music, you get this first-class experience. With right. everything else, it's very manual. Now, it just came out. I mean, I, I, I think they rushed it out, frankly, because, as we know, Apple and Google are working on similar things. So I think they were trying to make this happen quickly. Okay? So, okay, that's fine. They'll get there. The other thing is, it's really expensive. Um, Google doesn't get a lot of credit for this because no one knows it exists. But Google has additional storage you can buy tiered pricing just like it's Amazon. cheap. The difference between Amazon and Google is that Google's storage is one quarter the price. Right. Amazon's a buck a gig, right? A buck a gig. Yeah, these guys a are, it's not exact, but because, you know, they have different tiers. But if you wanted to buy the biggest amount of storage you could get, a terabyte. On Google, it's $256, okay. $255. On Amazon, it is $1,000. Yeah. Not even close. Yeah. So I actually have 200 is, gigs on Google. Hmm? I, I, I have 200 gigs on Google because I bought more yeah. Google. Oh, no, I do yeah. too. I have a crazy yeah. amount of storage. Now, yeah. the reason I have that much storage on Google is, and I pay, I think I pay 80 bucks a year or 40 it's bucks a year cheap. or something. Yeah. It's cheap. The, the reason I have it is because I use Google for, uh, for photo storage. Yeah, and I got it and, through Picasso. Yeah. Right. So in the same way that both companies sort of offer this storage that could be used for anything sort of, um, Amazon has very specifically gone after music. It's all optimized for music. And if, you, if that's what you're looking for, and you have an Android phone, especially today, uh, it's fantastic. It works great. I really like it. Um, if you want to do anything else with it, you have to wait because it's just useless right now. Likewise, on the Google side, if what you want it for is photo backup, essentially, photo storage, even photo sharing, actually. Uh, Picasso is great, and it's cheap, and it works really well, and it's optimized for that. But if you wanted to put music into Google storage, a, you'd have to figure out some workaround because they don't have an interface for that. You'd have to get some third-party tool or something. You know, there's this just a different focus. So my expectation is that Google will come out with a Google Music. It will be very much like this. Uh, Apple may do something very much like this through MobileMe or whatever, you know, these kind of digital locker programs. And I'm hoping at that point, Amazon A lowers prices and B also works to include other uh, you know, storage types, you know, other um, uploader types or whatever, you know, just to, to, yeah. to make better. It's funny. But, I forgot I had all this storage on Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you, it's shared between Gmail, Picasa Web, and Google Docs. So right now, you could see, put Docs is, on there, but it's not, it isn't very flexible in that term. In that. And it's not, by the way, it's almost impossible to find, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I mean, forgot I had it, it. Right, of course. So I have, uh, let's see, I have, 
Uh, what do I pay for? I have, fifty bucks I have, for two hundred gigs. Two, is what I, I have. have two hundred gigs. That's yep, what I have. Too. Fifty I'm using, bucks a year. I'm only using four, and the reason I have that much is I was originally paying for I think half that, but they keep raising the amount, so I don't really need that much. Right. But they keep raising the size of it. It's crazy. So well, you can see I, I'm, I'm using hoping. zero gigs of my two hundred gigs. I'm just <laughs> I have it. I just don't use it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, my Gmail uses almost nothing. Right. Uh, well, actually, that's not true. It uses over five gigabytes, but um, I mean, that's basically infinite anyway. It's no problem. My photo collection on Google is about 40 gigabytes. Um, I just have a lot of space. It's just a lot of space. And it's not that expensive. I mean, uh, 200 gig is, let's see if I can bring this up, is $50 a year. Yeah. Now, you can arbit upload arbitrary files using Google Apps. Okay. But it's not but they a make great it very, In other words, you really have to know what you're doing. You do. To do and, and by the way, let's say you did upload your entire music collection to Google. How would you play it? You know, you'd have to, they'd, right. some third party maybe would have to come out with right. some weird, you know. No, Amazon no distributes an Android app. Their, their MP3 app now is yeah, a player. Yeah, yeah. So it just plays. Right. I, I put an I've album on there. Thing, I, I, I have to say, uh, on the Android phone, uh, the sound quality is fantastic. It yeah. doesn't actually kill the battery life for too much, you know, over Wi-Fi. It was pretty good. I mean, I, I it's pretty impressive. I mean... Uh, we've spent so much time in the PC industry as users escalating the size of these hard drives, you know, two terabyte, three terabyte, right. um, crazy sizes. And then we're getting to this point where like eventually, assuming the connectivity there is there, and obviously that's a big piece. Um, you kind of, you know, we're getting to the point where you don't really need the storage. And it, it, it's funny because this new generation of devices that's coming, like the MacBook Airs and the SSD-based uh, PC laptops, obviously have a lot less storage because it's so expensive to do solid state kind of, you know, it doesn't matter if you think of it the right, if you look at it the right way, it's, it's, it, and you do things the right way, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to work around. So, um, the, the big picture thing I wanted to discuss with this is this, you know, we, we talk about this stuff a lot in the podcast. I write about this stuff a lot. When you think about platforms and ecosystems and all this stuff, you think about companies like Microsoft and Apple and Google and all the stuff that they're doing, but you know, Amazon has very quickly and somewhat quietly, I have to say, established itself as, as a major ecosystem and platform that actually, and this is the fascinating bit, it, it kind of interconnects with those other platforms and ecosystems that Microsoft and Apple and Google make. This is the company, you know, they started out as a retailer of physical items that they would ship, and obviously they still do this, to people's homes using UPS and US mail and so forth. So they sell books, but then they also bought Audible and they made the Kindle, which is its own platform that works in all these devices. Um, they sell video games in boxes and software in boxes, but now they also sell it digitally and they, they store that stuff up in a locker, by the way, and very few people even know that exists. They're the biggest, or were the biggest retailer, one of the biggest retailers of CD-based music, and they have Amazon MP3, which now integrates really nicely with this new service. And of course, MP3s work on everything. They're the biggest retailer of DVDs and Blu-ray movies, and they have Amazon On Demand, or what they're, now they're calling uh, Instant Video, where you can you do things, they, they integrate it with the other products they sell. So when you buy a Blu-ray movie, oftentimes you'll get free streaming access to that movie on Amazon Instant Video as well, as sort of a, a perk. So now they're taking on Netflix in that market. They're in the Android market with their app store. And now they've got this thing. They're in cloud storage, and they've got the cloud music player and all this stuff. They, they have... They have all this stuff. And if you have a, a Mac or a PC, it all works. If you have an iPhone, a lot of it works. And I think that's going to expand over time. 
they have apps that run on Windows Phone even, right? And obviously they're huge into Android because that's the big ecosystem where I think a third party like um, Amazon can make the most waves. You know, they can even displace Google as the supplier of your apps. And if you're not going, if you have an Android phone and you're not going to Amazon.com every day and just getting that free app, yeah, you know, the, I do. That for, yeah, you have to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, how you could not do that? I mean, I, I don't understand, but. It's amazing when you look at the big picture of what the, and I've only, I, by the way, everything I just described, that's not even everything, but that's, those are the big ones. This, you know, it's like they're a retailer. They're like Walmart, but look where they are now. You know, look what they've done here. It's incredible. I, I think this is, um, it's amazing how quietly this has happened, but I think we're, what we're seeing here is the makings of a, a major new competitor to these high-tech companies that no one ever saw coming. And that in the same way that Microsoft, if you, you know, and books were written about this, who is the biggest competitor of Microsoft? It was Nintendo. You know, um, who was the biggest competitor, uh, you know, Microsoft a year ago, Apple and Google, you know, who is it going to be a couple of years from now? I, I think it's, I think this is completely rewriting uh, the rules of engagement for this kind of battle for the hearts and minds of consumers in this high tech world that we live in. It's incredible. Um, and, you know, cloud drive, cloud, you know, player, whatever. I mean, it, these things taken by themselves are not necessarily huge advances, but they're, they're part of this much bigger thing. It's incredible. Amazon's a big deal. Yeah. They yeah, really I, are. And I think it's, they're really taking, kind of they're taking on Apple big time on this one. Taking on everyone. Think yeah. about the, the sheer, Leo, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, a, I'm going to tell you about a company, a mythical company. Mm-hmm. That is taking on Apple in these markets. It's taking on Microsoft in these markets. True. It's taking on Google in these markets. It's taking on Netflix in these markets. And by the way, it's winning. You know, I, I mean, winning. seriously, think about it. Who is this mythical company? Right. You know, like how could this? How could it exist? Yeah. And here it is. It's, it is, it's truly, it's truly amazing. It is amazing. Uh, and you know, they're doing an Android tablet. That's pretty obvious. So, uh, right. There, you know, the next Kindle will be Andro an Android tablet. They're actually actively lobbying for developers to start. Uh, they're ca they're calling and writing iPhone developers, saying, "Would you like to port your app to Kindle?" <laughs> very yep. interesting. Yeah, I love it. I mean, competition is good for us. That's all I can say. It's good for us. We want the competition. We don't want anyone to win. No, I, listen. As a consumer, this is the greatest thing that's ever yeah, happened. There's weird tie-ins. You know, we talked about this before. You're an Amazon Prime customer, which I know you and I both are. There are benefits to that that have to do with just buying stuff. But now there's a weird benefit where we also get their Netflix-like in instant streaming service for free as well. Yeah. What the heck does that have to do with free shipping on, you know, free second-day shipping? Nothing. But this Amazon ecosystem has grown so big and so powerful that now that is a weird perk. Yeah. I mean, what the... What the... <laughs> you know, what's what's bizarre. the... It's, it's something... It's a, again, it's one thing. And again, taking in isolation, it doesn't seem like a big deal. It's something that Apple can't do. It's something that Google can't right. do. It's something that Microsoft can't do. It's something Netflix can't do. It's amazing. You got to admire their vision, their uh, their chutzpah, their uh, drive. I mean, uh, yeah, because the notion that a, an online retailer would have online, you know, storage, both for consumers and businesses, right? You know, they also have Amazon Web Services and the S3 service. Um, how how could this company possibly be a major player in cloud computing? But right. they are. Yeah, and that's something we didn't even discuss. You know, it's crazy. I want to kind of move along here. Um, <laughs> I can see why. So very quickly, lots I just, to talk about. Obviously. So. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's sorry. It's been such a uh, it's a crazy week. 
Um, I brought up something in a, a column that I write about the consumerization of IT, and I've a I asked readers, and now I'm going to ask listeners of the podcast as well. We've talked about um, the notion that I want to do these mobile picks that uh, are on uh, non-Microsoft platforms, but relate in some way to um, integrating within a Windows environment and so forth. From, from a business standpoint, if you're listening to this and you work in a company and perhaps in IT, I'm curious about your experiences with um, your company either rolling out or allowing uh, users or uh, uh, workers to bring in their own devices and use them within the work environment. So, I think that's the way it is now, isn't it? But I want to know what it is that they're looking for. In other words, I, I think the very basic would be that Exchange Active Sync support. They might be looking for, you know, the ability to remotely wipe the device if it right. gets lost and so no work-related information gets out, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think that the two approaches there are you just give up, which I think a lot of companies are doing, by the way, and you just say, screw it, bring in your own stuff, we don't care. Or there are the people, uh, bigger companies probably, that want to manage things more. And I think there are scales of management. Microsoft has on-premises and soon we'll have cloud-based uh, management products that can manage devices as well as, yeah. as PCs. I think most devices that hope to be in the, in the uh, business and the enterprise are doing something. I know iPhones. Yeah, do. yeah, yeah. So obviously the iPhone was so successful the first year it had no enterprise features. Right. But after that, they went after that oh, very yeah. strong now. That's uh, probably what flipped it. Because people demand, they, they oh, said, no, I don't is. want this BlackBerry, I want an iPhone. I, I, the way I said it is, you know, I said, I said this to Microsoft. I said, you know, you guys keep talking about the consumerization of IT. That is, that's not what it is. It's the Appleification of yeah. IT. Yeah. And it's the iPhoneification of IT. That's all it is. I mean, great you know, wedge. people aren't asking for consumer products. They're asking for yeah. iPhones. Although anyway. I would guess that a good business now would, give, <laughs> would, would say, you know, if they're going to give somebody a phone, we'll say, here's your, here's your choices, but we manage the damn thing. Uh, yeah, it, to some degree, right? Because there's... There's a little bit of management, and then there's a lot of management. And I, what I'm curious about is, if you work at such a company, especially if you are in IT, I'm curious what level of management you're requiring before right. you allow your users to bring in their own devices yeah. or whatever. So, Good. so email yeah. Therat. Yeah. And this will guide future, you know, picks and so forth as well. Yeah. Uh, I guess I, we've did, done our tip of the week, really. Um, Buy, yes. Buy so, an MP3 album from Amazon and get 20 gigs. Yeah, my my yeah. The tip is, is simple. If you care about digital music and you spend a lot of time managing your collection and everything, I think this Amazon service is a great deal. And I think that the most most people, if you, I, I, I maybe I'm wrong. I, I thought I don't know if you get 20 gigabytes of cloud storage or 20 more gigabytes. So I'm not sure if it's 20, 20 or 25. 20 total. It's a total of 20. Yeah. So 20 is probably enough storage for many people to store their entire collection up in the cloud. Yeah, I think so. so. All you have to do is buy a an album, you know, Billy Joel's Greatest Hits is five dollars. I mean, whatever, you know. They have ninety nine cent albums. Yeah, buy a cheap album, uh, you get twenty gigabytes of storage for free. It's a no brainer. I mean, just just like if you have an Android device and, uh, you know, you don't care for Amazon for some reason. Seriously, visit Amazon.com every day and and see what the paid app is. And you you know, you never know. You might want it. <laughs> yeah, really. So just check it out. All right, we're going to get our Windows 7 app of the week. We've got a, a different one from the one Paul mentioned earlier. Also, um, Windows Phone 7 app of the week, a mobile app pick. we got a lot still to do. I want to briefly pick mm -hmm. something for you for those of you who are spam sensitive. You know, I just was thinking the other day, I was looking at my Gmail account. Uh, I don't get spam anymore. Uh, Gmail does a great job, but but even before it gets to Gmail, I run it through MailRoute.info, and you know I get bacon, I get stuff that I you know mailing lists I subscribed to, things like that. 
but they're easy to un to opt out of unsubscribe. I do not. I haven't seen a Viagra email or a Nigerian, uh, you know, millionaire scam in. I can't even remember when the last time I saw it, and it, it just happened kind of automatically. And I just love it. It's because since 2004, I've been using MailRoute, and MailRoute is a hosted service, so it just gets better and better and better. You don't do anything. It's for people who run their own server. I have the way I do my email. Uh, I have a number of addresses, all of which I control uh, at my at server. And so the, what I've done is I've changed the MX record, say, for anything that goes to leoville.com to go through MailRoute first. Then they send it back on to leoville.com. And from there, I bounce it to Gmail. So Gmail is my storage uh, where it gets, uh, you know, the, second, the, the secondary treatment, maybe the tertiary treatment uh, of the sewage <laughs> gets rid of the whatever remaining spam. Not much. MailRoute is just a great solution if you, for some reason, want to run your own email servers. A lot of businesses want to do that for privacy and security, and you don't want to buy a big hardware device. Try MailRoute. It's very affordable. Prices start at $2 per user per month for 10 users. And uh, because of demand for the Twit Army, they're even individual accounts now, although really it makes more sense if you're running a server. $30 per user per year for individual users. And if you use the website MailRoute.info to sign up, it's a special site that uh, Tom over at MailRoute set up for us, um, you'll get 10% off for the life of your account forever. This is a really good solution. If you uh, run a big mail server, lots of big corporations, universities use MailRoute. This guy knows he's the king of this stuff. MailRoute. Dot info. Do yourself a favor and find out more. MailRoute.info. Uh, let's see. We've got a Windows 7 app of the week, and I agree with you on this one. They're back, baby. And and owned by LogMeIn. No, no, no LastPass. Last yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Xmarks, you know, there's a kind of a colorful history there, right? I think it started as Foxmarks. It was a... Uh, Mitch Kapoor. Mitch Kapoor was one of the big uh, guys. Was he really? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I did Lotus so, One Two Three. Yeah, a little bit of history in there yeah. too. So uh, it, it basically went cross-platform essentially as X Marks, and then they were going out of business, and they I think they basically announced this is it. We're not doing this anymore. And then LastPass bought it, and they're updating it. Isn't that great? So it's a, it, it syncs bookmarks and some other things uh, between browsers, and it works with all the major browsers, i.e. Firefox, Chrome, and Safari. And, um, I, you know, my only complaint is that there isn't a single installer. You have to, if you have multiple browsers installed, and I think most power users do, you have to download the separate installers for each browser and, you know, reboot the browser and all that stuff. But once you get it up and running, it's a way to move the bookmarks back and forth. And I don't actually do a lot with bookmarks typically, but lately I have been... And I've been using those, uh, the, you know, the browser bookmark bar that's in each browser. And the thing is, I've had to, I've actually spent time like an idiot manually recreating bookmarks between different browsers because, you know, I have all, I have all four of those browsers installed. So, um, I, you know, with, without even having used this thing in the past, it occurred to me recently, I know this exists. Why am I making this hard on myself? And I just downloaded and installed this thing. And I know, you know, I've got recommendations about this all the time. It works great. So this is a neat way to do it. You know, each of the browsers has a, well, no. Yeah, no, Chrome does a great browsers. job of this. But if you're cross-platform, if you, if you cross it doesn't solve. Or you know, if you if use multiple browsers. That's what I mean. And, and that's yeah. the thing. And I, I just, um, 
and or use malware because people have Macs and PCs, right? You know, well, maybe Chrome they will use... grow cross cross operating system, but it won't go to Firefox. No, of course, but what if you you know you may want to use IE right. and Windows and Safari on the Precisely. Mac or something or whatever it is. I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever permutation you choose, um, this will work across all those different lines, and I think that's what's really neat oh, about fantastic. it. Fantastic, so, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Xmox, and it's still free. Xmarks.com. Yep. Uh, Windows Phone 7 app of the week. Yeah, so this one, you know, one of the things I'm starting on now, now that the updates are happening and, and my bitching and moaning is coming to a stop, um, I want to look, look, you just got to look at Windows Phone platform, you think a little pragmatically now, it's going to be a while before the next update unless something changes. There are all these needs in the platform, you know, what are the workarounds and what are the different ways we can uh, fix problems that are in Windows Phone today so that you can use the thing and get the most benefit out of it and so forth. So, in that light, uh, this pick, and this is thanks to Mark Arsborn who pointed this out to me, and I believe there's one other app on Windows Phone that does this. It is a podcasting app. We need this. And the reason it's beautiful is because you can download podcasts over the air. So you could manage podcasts through Zoom, and you could sync your podcast to the phone like a dope, <laughs> or you could do it the modern way and just put them on the phone because that's where you're going to listen to them anyway. That's great. And uh, this is a neat way to do that. Now, you know, it, it's Windows Phone, so there's always a little annoying things. I mean... Um, right now in this current version of the software, there's no way to do download, uh, I'm sorry, background downloading of third-party apps. So if you're going to download a podcast, it has to sit there running while it's downloading. It's oh. not a problem for audio podcasts. You know, it's take something you can trigger. But if you're going to download a video onto the phone, which maybe I don't recommend, obviously, if you're not on Wi-Fi, uh, that could take a while. Mm -hmm. So this is a limitation of the platform, but what it does do is light and run uh, and run around that limitation of Windows Phone, where you can't download podcasts over the air. I guess you could also use it in tandem with the built-in functionality. So if you're out on the road, you go on a trip, a week's gone by, you've got new podcasts you want to listen to, you could download them through here while you're on the road only. You know, and that would solve that problem. So it's a nice little app. It's um, it's 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 very well done. Again, I. The only real limitations of it are not their fault. It's because you just can't do certain things in Windows Phone yet. So I think they'll get there. I'm glad that uh, they made this as a podcast person. Yeah. Finally, your mobile app pick of the week. I don't know. How is that different from your Windows Phone 7 app? Because this is not for Windows Phone. It's for other mobile, oh. <laughs> mobile OSs. Oh. So in other words, the goal here is to find things that work. Yeah, allow you to work with Windows in different ways. You know, people run Windows on their PCs, but they have Android phones and they have iPhones and they have iPads. And, you know, uh, I want to look uh, mostly at integration pieces. I'm not going to recommend, again, like, Angry Birds on the iPad or something. Uh, this is stuff that helps you work with Windows. Um, this one I pick first. I, I know there are a lot of remote desktop solutions for mobile platforms, and I know I'm going to hear from people, and I do want to hear from you about your choices because my expectation is because these things are so popular, especially with IT pros and people who support other uh, computer users, that there's a need for remote access. Oh, yeah. And that and it's, it's not cool. always going to be... There's something cool about it, seeing it, Windows 7 cool on your iPad. It's really cool. Yeah. Now, I happen to use LogMeIn, and I actually pay for LogMeIn. Uh, there, there are advantages oh, to Paul, doing that. Paul, Paul, And I don't... Hold on. <laughs> but there are free versions of LogMeIn... Um, the mobile app, unfortunately, you do have to pay for it. But on the iPhone and iPad, it's $29. You only pay once and you can use it forever. And I have to say, the experience of remote desktop on an iPad to a PC is actually decent. Um, I would say on a phone, an Android phone or an iPhone or whatever, it's kind of a last case. You're like, this is the only option I have. Okay, maybe. But um, there is, it is usable on an iPad. It actually works pretty well. 
Um, I think that I use remote, I, and I want to be careful about this, it's re, I think of it as remote access differently than other people in that I don't personally typically need the desktop. I'm not looking to interact with a remote computer as you would if you were sitting in front of it, you know, with the mouse and keyboard and all that stuff. What I typically need is I'll go on a trip. I have my uh, file store up in the server, and that's how I use LogMeIn, by the way. They have a, on the paid version, they have what is essentially an FTP-like access to your server or to your PC. I use it on the server. Um, and what it allows me to do is download the work-related files I need when I'm on the road. And I use it all the time, and it works great. I also do things like when I go on a trip, I'll back up my photos from the laptop to my home server over, over LogMeIn. So this is a... Uh, it works with the free version of LogMeIn. The free version of LogMeIn only only provides the service, which I think most people are looking for, which is the interactive desktop, you know, which is, I, I don't typically need. But um, uh, if you pay for LogMeIn and then you, you can install the free version of LogMeIn on other computers, you actually do get those other capabilities through this LogMeIn Ignition client. So anyway, I'm, sus I, I, I'm guessing based on your... Reaction, you have a different choice? Or a, well, go to my PC as a free iPad app. Okay, there you go. So, right. I just don't have experience with it. Yeah, no, you should try it. It's If you're yeah, going to pay like, for LogMeIn, mm -hmm. I mean, I understand why people use LogMeIn and TeamViewer. They're free. But if you're going to pay for a service, you should try go to my PC before you try Yeah, so uh, my intention is to actually try both of those things you I'll just get mentioned. I'll you account, Paul. Okay, so a lot of people have written me about TeamViewer. That's one. I, I will say, and, and you may be able to prove differently to me, um, I'm not a big fan of the VNC type clients. You know, there's something. It's a little uh, sluggish, isn't it? And it also feels like a malware payload, doesn't it? There's yeah, something it does. good about VNC. Yeah. It, it, you almost can't trust some of the clients. and That's why I pay for uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I think go to my. I think you'll be pleased. You know, there is, there, there's a lot of proprietary technology in getting stuff to, uh, to be speedy. Yeah. speedy well, you know, in the Windows world, we have that notion of remote desktop connection, you know. And uh, when you're within a firewall and you want to, I do this all the time at home, actually. I can remote, I remote desktop into my home server all the time. Yeah, it's so cool. Home server is in the cellar. It's not connected yeah. to a monitor. Um, it's very simple on the same network to use remote desktop connection uh, to do that stuff. It, once you talk about jumping beyond firewalls and getting inside of other networks, things get a little more complex. And I think at that point, a third-party solution um, you know, it would make more sense. And I understand why people would tend toward the free things like VNC, you know, because they're free. But I, I in my experience, you know, this stuff I've used has worked well. So that's where I started. Absolutely worth a try. A good choice. Paul, we're out of, uh, out of, we're at the end of the notes. We're out of stuff. We're out of stuff. Hard to believe. Paul Therat is uh, the man in charge of the super site for Windows, winsupersite.com. Super! A lot of, uh, in fact, I would say everything we talk about on the on the show is is uh, elaborated upon there. Is there or soon will be? <laughs> so well, I've, got, I've, type already, it in. I've written up, like for the log me in thing. I've I've actually written a review that's not up yet. It's just not complete. And then again, the Amazon stuff, same thing. It's a, a fairly lengthy review in that case. Um, I just haven't completed it. So soon it will be up soon. Well, that's the beauty of it. There's more stuff all the time at the super site for Windows. He's also news editor of Windows IT Pro, analyst for Penton Media, the author of The Great Windows 7 Secrets. And look, right there on the front page, Windows 8 Secrets. Ooh, uh, you can find out all about it there. Join us as we do this show every Thursday morning, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, live.twit.tv. You can watch live. Hear all the expletives that we delete out of the 
<laughs> shipping version. We're like sailors. Yeah, we swear like sailors in this show. And, uh, of course, you can uh, get copies of this show in audio and video uh, everywhere. Better podcasts are distributed, including Bringcast. And uh, you could also, of course, just come to our website, twit.tv. You'll find all of our shows there, including Windows Weekly, Mac Break Weekly, This Week in Tech, This Week in Google, Security Now, all that great stuff. Paul, thank you. Uh, it's great to talk to you, and we will see you next week on Windows Weekly. I like the pregnant. I've got to add that on Windows.